This episode of the Detox Podcast is brought to you by Rebel Riot Printing. Celebrating their 10th year in business, Rebel Riot is locally owned and family operated, offering custom printed tees with no minimums and fast turnaround. And by Bitsbox. Bitsbox teaches kids to code. Real JavaScript, real devices, and really fun. Hands down the most fun way for curious kids ages 6 to 14 to learn coding. Use promo code DETOX for $20 off any subscription order of $50 or more. That's D-T-A-L-K-S DETOX for $20 off any order of $50 or more with BitsBox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a podcast for dads where this dad talks about life, kids, and stuff. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And on today's episode, I have returning to the show, U.S. Olympic medalist and current American Ninja Warrior contestant, Mr. Jonathan Horton. Yes, that's right. Jonathan stopped by the show to talk about his newest book, If I Had Known where he talks about a lot of the life lessons he has learned throughout his career that he wishes he had known at the very beginning of his career that he wants to pass on to a brand new generation of not only gymnasts, Olympic athletes, but children and people of all ages. So it's a great discussion, begins some really great topics. So stick around. I'll be right back with Jonathan. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is Mr. Jonathan Horton. Jonathan, thanks so much for coming back on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Really excited to be back with you guys. It's been a long time. It has. It has. Too long. Too long. I know we tried to make it work a couple different times, but unfortunately, uh, schedules didn't line up. We're both super busy people, and uh, but now we got it, and we're here, and uh, you're locked in, so we're, uh, we're ready to go. And, and you're on the show to talk about uh, your book, If I Had Known. And uh, the full title of that is If I Had Known Life Lessons from an Olympic Pro Athlete. So I'm, I'm really excited. This is a really cool book. And uh, of course, for all of those listeners out there, we will put the link for purchase in the show notes. So if you're wondering, where can I get this great book? Don't worry. Just scroll down in the episode description. It'll be right there. Click on it. You'll be taken to the link to be able to purchase it. So, but I, I, I'm, we want to touch on that and then uh, some other topics of interest that I know people are interested in Olympic wise and, and American Ninja Warrior wise and Ninja Coalition wise and all a bunch of stuff. But, but first of all, I just want to check in with you, man. Uh, since the last time we recorded, what have you been up to? What's been going on in your life besides obviously writing a book? Oh, yes. The real question is, um, you know, what have I not been doing? Because I've been so busy. <laughs> I have been all over the place. Um, you know, just to kind of run down the list, obviously, I wrote a book. I have been doing a lot of speaking, a lot of corporate uh, motivational speaking events. I have been going all over to different gymnastics competitions, ninja competitions, schools, doing kind of a little bit of a book tour. I have been doing ninja events with my company that I part own, the Ninja Coalition. I have done commentary for NBC. I, man, I, it's been crazy. It's been absolutely insane. Aside from the fact that I've got a five-year-old and almost three-year-old and my wife and our heads are spinning, but it's been good. 
That's so awesome. Well, that, we're going to dive into all of that stuff that you just mentioned. I'm, I'm really excited. I know for me personally, having I've seen you uh, not too long ago doing NBC commentary, it was it was really cool. It's like, hey, I know that guy. I know that guy. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's really great. So I want to talk about your book and I want to talk about specifically what drove you to I guess. So if I had to boil it down into three points, I'd say why a book? Why specifically this type of book? And why is now the right time to do it? Okay, so um, those are easy questions. So okay. <laughs> about a year and a half ago, I was doing an interview, and I had just retired from gymnastics after 28 years of, of competition. And, you know, this person, I, I, they, they threw a question at me that I'd never gotten before for obvious reasons because I'd never been retired before. But sure. they said, you know, now that you're retired, what do you know now that you wish you had known when you were, you know, early on in your teen years. And I was right. like, huh, I guess, I guess there are a lot of things that I picked up along the way. And so the idea was born in that interview. And so I went home and I just started jotting some ideas down. And I actually, I've thought about writing a book for the past like 10 years, but the task seems so daunting that I would write like a paragraph and be like, nope, not doing that. <laughs> um, and so I just started writing all of these little bullet points. And before I knew it, I was like, man, you know what? I've got a lot of stuff here. So then I went paragraph by paragraph or not. Well, chapter by chapter. And um, before I knew it, I was like, wow, I've got a lot of stuff here. And it took me about a year. But, you know, the more I really thought about it, the, the real reason that I wrote it wasn't just because of a good question interview, but also because I realized at the time, you know, had I known some of this stuff when I was younger, it could have kind of hedged an uncertain future. Could have helped me along the way with some of my failures, some of my high points, just now how to handle every aspect of my career. And I also saw that there was a tie to just life in general. Right. Some of the things that I learned in my sport that I think could be really relevant to people with a lot of high ambitions, people that are starting new businesses, people in the sales world, marketing world, doctors, lawyers, teachers, everybody. Some of the things that I learned as, uh, as I pursued the Olympics that I think everybody could really take in. And so, you know, I took about a year to do it. And I, I, I decided to launch the book in December of this past, uh, of this year, um, or of December 2018, basically, because that's when gymnastics really starts to get kind of serious and kids start competing a lot. And I wanted to I don't want to say take advantage of the gymnastics season, but I wanted to be able to do a book tour. I wanted to be able to go from gymnastics facility to gymnastics facility, be able to reach kids and be able to say, hey, look, I wrote this book. It's a really easy read, and I think it could help anyone from, you know, I think age eight to 50 years old. Right. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm super passionate about, you know, obviously, my own opinions, but <laughs> I um, – I don't do a lot of, I read a little bit, but I purposely didn't dig into any other personal development books because I didn't want to steal ideas. Sure. Every single idea in this book is straight from my crazy brain. And, um, you know, I, I, I love my own book. Obviously I'm, a, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little <laughs> bit biased towards it, but I really think every single young ambitious human being on the planet, no matter whether they're a gymnast or a, uh, you know, pursuing NFL football, or they want to be the next Jeff Bezos and be the next richest man in the world. I think that what I've written really applies to just about anybody. And I, I I'm super passionate about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. That was something that I noticed uh, when I was reading, not only the passion, because that does that, that kind of leaps off the page at you, but definitely the fact where it really felt, you know, as you, as you talked about that, it's something that can be appealing for people from, from eight to 58, you know, and even beyond that, it's a wide variety of ages, but it's something that it's very inspirational. And I think kind of to your point, people can take from it, you know, if you're young and you're entering sports or you're entering gymnastics or whatever, you can take these lessons and kind of use it to help motivate you and guide you through this journey. Or if you're older and you're kind of looking for, you know, maybe some direction or some, uh, I'm not really sure where to go. This kind of, this book is set up to, to give you the tools to to kind of, I don't want to say get your life back on track, but but almost in a way, and 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 use it to kind of build yourself up with, to to then go on and kind of tackle the world, so to speak. Yeah, I'll tell you what, a really interesting thing that happened to me not too long ago. I sat down um, with a buddy of mine who um, is 72 years old, and he's a retired orthopedic surgeon who just got into a new career and. I'm not going to name drop him or anything like that. Um, he'll know that I'm talking about him right now <laughs> if he listens to the podcast. But um, I kind of looked at him. I was like, man, are you picking up a new career right now? I was like, I'm being honest, man, transparent. Do you need the money? He goes, no, I don't need the money. I saved almost every dollar I made throughout my extensive career. I'm a multimillionaire. I don't need any money. And I said, well, then why are you starting a new career? Right. And he said, man, because I retired. And after a, re- a year of retirement, I felt like I was slowly dying. Oh, wow. And we got into this long conversation about starting, you know, new things and staying busy. And he told me how he read my book and it, it fired him up even more to just like get after it at 72 years old. He read my book and he was like, man, I'm just I started this career and then I read it now more amped up than I've ever been. I mean, that put a huge <laughs> smile on my face. That's so awesome. Yeah. So it really gets, so there you go. So it really can appeal to just about anybody, regardless of your age or where you are in life. Just it's it's great. It's a great, you know, almost, almost like a, like a, like a comfort food for your like motivation or, I mean, an old reference would be like a chicken soup for the soul, but, but this is like, this is like that, but like, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to, it's like that amped up to, to 29 or 30. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I said 29 <laughs> is but 99, but, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, it, it, yeah. it, it gives you that kind of boost. Uh, one thing that really made me chuckle is at the very beginning when you're talking about uh, don't try and be or stop trying to be cool. And you're talking about a, a you know, a, a recent talk you gave. And, and there's these guys that are uh, just like hanging out in the back and they're slouching and they're on their phones and they're laughing and you're trying to ignore them and trying to ignore them and trying to ignore them. And then you finally you finally just address them and you're like, hey, uh, what's up? what's going on? Uh, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and uh, you're like, you guys look like you're athletic. Uh, you having fun? And, and they're just like, what? And you're just, you're saying like, look, this should be fun. You shouldn't be trying to put on this aura of, I got to be cool. I got to be cool. I got to be cool. And it's really, it kind of sets the tone for the book that you start out by talking about how sports should be fun. What you're doing should be fun. You should be passionate about it and, and leaning into it and enjoying yourself all while putting, you know, putting yourself through these different uh, physical and mental tests. And, and I really just kind of want you to speak about or talk to what was the process like for deciding that that's how you wanted to, the, the tone for the book, like how you wanted to start the book? How did you arrive at that part specifically? Yeah, well, so, I mean, just to kind of talk a little bit more about that specific moment in my life, which was terrifying. <laughs> I was actually at a, I was at a, shoot, I can't, it was either junior high or high school. I can't remember at this point. I'm going off the top of my head. But um, yeah, I was up, I was delivering a, a, a speech to this school. I had been up there talking for about 10, 15 minutes 
and I was supposed to speak for 30 or 35. And these guys were just sitting in the back and they were being so distracting. And I tried to power through. And before I knew it, I was like, I got to stop. I've never stopped in the middle of one of my, my speeches before, but I stopped and I could see everyone kind of panic for a second. They were like, "Uh Oh, what is this guy on stage? What's he doing? (laughs) And So I just kind of addressed them and I found out it was a group of guys that were all on the football team and they were watching like YouTube or Snapchatting or doing something and they were being really rowdy. And um, so I I went into this long conversation with them about, you know, what do you guys want? Uh, You know, and I may have been a little harsh with them, but it (laughs) came across properly. I was like, look, there's a guy up here who has been successful I'm not going to try to be cocky and arrogant right now, but look, I've done a lot in my professional career and I'm up here trying to tell you guys how to be successful and you guys are goofing around. You're pretending like the guy on stage isn't worth a moment of your time. And I said, look, apparently you guys are just way too cool for me. (laughs) And they all kind of sat up in their seats and they got real quiet. And I could see some of the teachers and administrators sit, standing around there, like, "Oh man, where is this gonna go?" Right. <laughs> and I just went on this. Ta- I just went on this tangent about how kids in the world today are so pressured to fit in else, and even some of the kids with the most ambition, the ones that they deep down in their heart they want to be good students, they want to be uh, great athletes, they want to be entrepreneurs. They they've got these huge goals. They find themselves sucked into these these you know these cliques of, of kids and people, and instead of pursuing those goals with everything they possibly can, they want to try to be cool like everybody else. I gotta say the right things. I gotta wear the right things. Oh, these guys aren't listening to the teacher. You know what? I think I'll be disrespectful too. And that was kind of the point I made. And the the last thing that I said to them was, guys, I know you want to be cool, but. I've seen a lot of people cool themselves all the way to nothing. Mm-hmm. And they, I actually got like all the teachers just started like clapping. They stood up, they gave me a standing <laughs> O. And that's not what I was really, I wasn't really going for sure. that. But I just wanted to make that point that guys, I see you. I see that there's pressure and that you guys want to fit in. But look, the coolest thing you can possibly do is to stand out and be different, put in tons of work, you know. I know maybe you guys want to be NFL football players one day. Well, that's great. If you want to be a great NFL football player, study hard, train hard, make it to the NFL. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But at the end of the day, whether you do or not, you'll know you gave it your all and you didn't get sucked into the pressures of of the world. And it goes beyond school. It goes beyond high school and college. I know adults that they get into these these groups of people that just bring them down. Right. And I – I so badly want to just grab them and shake them for a second and say, look, stop hanging out with these people. Go be different. Who cares if they don't think you're cool and in their group anymore? I know you want more out of your life than this. It's okay. Go and pursue something bigger and better. And that's kind of how I took on my career. I was the lame little kid in school that flipped and wore tight pants. Um, and, and I just didn't – I didn't care what anyone said. I left school early. I didn't have a whole lot of friends other than the guys that I trained with in the gym. And people told me that my sport was lame or people said that it wasn't even a sport. And I just didn't care. Yeah, every now and then it got under my skin. 
But I don't know if it was a God-given thing, but I just kept plowing away. And I said, forget all of the trendy things that everyone is doing. I want to become an Olympian and nothing's going to get in my way. Right. And, you know, you really – and you've shown what that kind of dedication and, and hard work and focus primarily can can do. Just taking it all the way to the Olympics, the two times, and meddling, and, and all the success that you've achieved definitely as a result. And and I want to pivot a little bit towards the college aspect as well because I know – because you do cover that – in detail as far as your decision and i know that i've seen you know just different stuff that you've shared about about ou and and going and being a part of the ou gym gymnastics team but something i didn't know was you talked about how it was a difficult choice for you to choose between to to actually choose to go to ou as opposed to penn state and i want you to kind of walk us through that that process for you about about choosing to go because it was your it was your parents that that advised you to go to ou Is, is that correct yeah, well, I mean, so my parents didn't really advise me. They really oh, sure. wanted me to go to OU. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, so it was it was a it so, was a nudge. <laughs> yeah, it was well, it was a it was a heavy nudge. Right. And so, you know, kind of so in I kind of started rising in my sport around my sophomore junior year of high school. I uh, I'm very open with people about my struggles early on in gymnastics. I wasn't this prodigy of a kid that was super successful right off the bat. I really kind of rose to prominence, uh, you know, around the age of maybe 17 or 18. And I became very highly recruited. And so I was recruited by Oklahoma, Penn State, Ohio State, um, Michigan. And so I had a lot of choices. And I was really excited about that as very much so a blessing. And so I ended up taking three different recruiting trips. So I went to Michigan first. And I, I fell in love with the school. I came home. Loved Michigan. I told my parents I'm applying. That's the only place I want to go. Well, then like a week later, I took a trip to Penn State. Came home from Penn State, and I was like, guys, I'm going to Penn State. This is the greatest place I've ever been. The team the team treated me like royalty. I got to go to a football game with 110,000 uh, crazy fans. The, the campus is beautiful. I love the coach. I'm going to Penn State. And my mom and dad were like, uh-oh. So then a couple of weeks later, I take a recruiting trip to the University of Oklahoma. And to tell you the truth, I didn't have very much fun there at all. I was like, uh, no, <laughs> not, not happening. Like, not not for me. Like, yeah. you know, I thought the team was cool and the coaches were great, but there was just something about Penn State. Well, anyways, my mom and dad, um, if they're listening to this podcast, you know, that they, they – I'm trying to say this lightly, but they – didn't have a ton of money growing up. Sure. Luckily, my parents, they're very successful now. My mom uh, became a successful uh, realtor. My dad uh, just retired from a, a career as an engineer designing, you know, piping for oil companies. But before, you know, they got those great careers, we kind of struggled. Yeah. And so my, uh, you know, and I didn't know that till later on when you have these serious talks as an adult, and your parents are like, you realize it was a battle to keep you in gymnastics, right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> right. Um, they they basically were like, look, if you want to see your family, um, if you go to Penn State, we can't fly to you and we can't fly you home. Mm. So we're never going to see you. We're not going to get to see you compete. We're not going to get to come visit you. We're hardly going to be able to fly you home for the holidays. And I was so dead set on going to Penn State. And it was a really, really hard decision for me but Oklahoma is a, you know, a, a quick six hour drive from home. Right. And 
I very reluctantly said, okay, fine. I'm going to throw all that other stuff away. I, I know I'm going to be way happier at Penn State. I, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to go to Oklahoma just to, to stay close to my family because I love my family. And it was the greatest decision I ever made. I went up to OU, and it was a, you know, a couple days before all of a sudden I was like, man, this is home. This is so great. I, I can't believe I didn't like this place at first. And I've really found – I talk to a lot of kids. I, I mentor young athletes that are trying to pick colleges, and I tell all of them, guys, I know that this is the hardest decision you've ever made in your young life. You've got five schools that are offering you a full scholarship, and you don't know what to do. But look, every single university out there has great coaches – They've got great education, and you just need to find a place that works for you and your family because no matter where you go, it may take you a couple days. It may take you a couple months. It might even take you a year of being a little uncomfortable, but before you know it, that school is going to feel like home, and you're not even going to want to go home anymore because you're going to have your team. You're going to have your friends. Those friends turn into family. Your coaches turn into like parents. And, you know, no disrespect to your own family back home, but like for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I was like, man, I kind of want to hang out with my buddies here at Oklahoma. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, I think I would have gone to Penn State and been just as happy. I would have gone to Michigan or Ohio or any of these schools that recruited me. And the same thing would have happened. I would have I would have molded in nice and I would have loved everyone there. And so that's, that's really my point for the, the chapter that I, I wrote about going to colleges. Don't get so stressed out about it. Talk to your parents, be open with your family. You know, do you want to be close to home? Are you ready to just get away from your family? Right. Like, what do you want to do? Because no matter where you go these days, we have great colleges with great D1, D2, D3 programs. And if you go and you plug in and you you do everything you can to study hard and train hard if you're an athlete, you're going to love your time at a university. Absolutely. Now, I'd like to take a brief moment to thank today's sponsors. Uh, first of all, Rebel Riot Printing. Say goodbye to setup fees with direct-to-garment printing. Located right here in Dallas, Texas, Rebel Riot offers blazing fast turnaround, full-color images, and no minimums. With prices starting at $18.50 for one shirt, or you can take advantage of this great offer by ordering 10 shirts for $100. That's 10 shirts with a full-color direct-to-garment print with no setup fees and 24-hour turnaround. Just make sure to mention Detox when you order. Go to rebelriotprinting.com to start your order today. And buy Bitsbox. Bitsbox is a crazy fun subscription box that teaches kids how to code. Bitsbox is a physical box full of app projects. It ships in the mail once a month, teaching kids ages 6 to 14 to build, to build real apps with real code for real devices. Coding with Bitsbox is not about raising your kid to become a programmer in their career. This is a skill that kids should learn regardless of whether they want to be doctors, artists, or Olympic medalists when they grow up. Use promo code DETOX to get $20 off any subscription order of $50 or more. That's promo code DTALKS at Bitsbox.com. Bitsbox teaches kids to code, real JavaScript, real devices, and really fun. So now, Jonathan, I want to kind of pivot a little bit. In the next chapter... 
uh, or one of the next chapters, you talk about don't forget the basics, right? And and you talk about the fact that your your whole routine, you're doing uh, floor routines, you're doing pommel horse spins, you're doing, you know, forgive me for not remembering the vernacular, but you're <laughs> essentially doing 30 to 45 minutes of foundational exercises every single routine at the beginning just to make sure that you've got your basics right. You know, you talk about it as being a, a magician's sleight of hand. You're making difficult things look easy because you've spent hundreds and thousands of hours practicing these very simple hand and foot movements as well. So with all that to say, and I want you to walk us through a little bit of what that experience was for you. I want to know, uh, did you ever feel like the karate kid uh, during some of those days? A little bit of a wax on, wax off. <laughs> oh, 100%. And that is maybe the best analogy I've ever heard for it. I'm going to use that. I right. might just steal that from you. Right. Um. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, look, when I was 30 years old pursuing my third Olympics, my coach was still having me go over to the floor and practice proper forward roll and cartwheel techniques. And I'm like, dude, seriously? <laughs> I am already a two-time Olympian, and I'm not good enough at how to do a forward roll, a handstand, a cartwheel, a back handspring. These things that I learned when I was six, right. I'm still trying to perfect them. And, you know, I, I have been around so many, you know, I, I'm obviously going to use my gymnastics experience here to explain this, but I've been around a lot of other gymnasts who did not focus on those little things. And it shows in their, in, in the whole scheme of things when they do gymnastics, mm -hmm. you can see the little minute details that just aren't quite right. That, you know, a judge with a trained eye and an athlete like myself that had done it for so long, you see the difference and you can see the difference between why somebody wins gold and why someone wins silver. And especially at the very, very elite level, like the Olympic Games, it's just hundreds, if not thousands of a tenth of a deduction that separates one athlete from another. And it usually comes down to those very basic elements that separates one person from the other. And so that's why I wrote that chapter, because I think in all aspects of our lives, we have to focus on those basic things that make us good and you know when somebody sees an iron cross on the rings which is one of the most iconic positions in gymnastics oh, everybody yeah. always goes "Ooh, and ah and wow that guy makes it look so easy yeah well it's kind of like you said with the magician you know you see david copperfield or um shoot i can't even david blaine all of these davids that are doing right. magic i don't know yeah um because they're doing these tricks that look so complicated but if you ask them about it, they're like, well, it's just a lot of little moves that we're better at other people at. And I can say the same thing about an iron cross. Yeah, I make it look really easy because, yeah, I did get strong over the course of my career. But also there's a lot of little things in there that I'm just better than everybody else at because I worked it every single day of my life. And so, you know, I meet business people and people with different careers and I talk about perfecting the basics you know one of the things that i'm doing right now is i speak a lot all over the country i've got um, speaking events uh, you know in different places i'm hoping to travel overseas and speak and the more i do it the more i have to stand in front of a mirror and get a little bit better every single day with some of the foundational principles of how to be a good speaker 
right. you know, how to change the tone of your voice, how to tell a joke properly, what to do with your hands, where to look, all these things that if you don't focus on them all the time, it really separates you from the guys like Tony Robbins or Gary Vaynerchuk. They are experts and people can see it, but I promise you, these guys spend so much time on the little details. And so the same goes for gymnastics and football and baseball and as an entrepreneur. And there's just people people think, all right, you know what? I'm going to get really good at this real fast. I'm going to be an instant success. But they haven't taken the time to focus on the little things that are going to make your success look different than someone else's. Right. No, a hundred percent. And you know, it, it's something too, where it's like, you know, you can really, you can re- in all aspects of life, uh, circling back to kind of what you were saying, you can really t- see the people that, that take the time to work on each minute detail, as opposed to people that 70% have it done or together. And, and you know, that's that 70, 70% may be like, Oh, well that's passable. Right. But it's 30% far from a hundred, you know, and, and that gap is huge in terms of whether it's grades or whether it's performance or whether it's getting a gold versus a bronze medal, you know, there's a lot of different aspects that people need to, to work on. I think you do a great job of addressing that as well. Well, I'll tell you, I think your percentage is a little bit off because sure. typically I typically people can get 90% of the way there. Ah, I, okay. uh, people can be it can really plow away and work their tails off and get 90% of where they want to go. But it's that last 10% that I find so few are willing to commit to that last little bit of pursuit of just perfection that you may not be able to ever be perfect, but you want to try to get to that 99.9% of where you want to go. And that's what separates people from the rest of the pack. Cause no matter what you're doing, I don't care if you're trying to become an Olympian or a professional football player or the next, you know, great entrepreneur out there. Um, that last little bit there, and there's so many people that are trying to do that same thing that you're trying to do, but very few want to go after that last 10% that will separate you and take you from, you know, let's talk dollars from a million dollar company to a hundred million dollar company. That's mm-hmm. what that 10% can do. Yeah. No, absolutely. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, a million to a hundred million is a, is a huge, huge bit. But I mean, you know, take a look at Amazon, Apple, a bunch of these different companies that, that were willing to go that extra percent. So now I want to talk about, since we're talking about separating yourself from the pack, I want to talk about, talk us through your first experiences trying out and making the U S gymnastics team. Um, well, are you talking about making the national team or the Olympic team? Ah, okay. Well, uh, so let's start there. Uh, I didn't really know the difference. So let's walk, through, <laughs> let's walk through that. And then also let's walk through the Olympic team as well. Yeah. So, um, I actually, nah, a little shameless plug here, but I'm actually <laughs> writing an autobiography as, which is going to have a lot of stories in there. I'm going to be releasing that book probably in December of 2019. Nice. But, um, you know, making the national team was actually, in my opinion, maybe a little bit more challenging than making the Olympic team because it was earlier on in my career that I was trying to do it. Okay. Um, one of the stories that I, I love to share with people was when I was 11 years old, I went to my first important national competition. It was called the Future Stars Nationals. And there were 50 boys in the competition, and they were going to take the top 15 
and place them on kind of like the first level of the national team. There's the future stars national team for young kids. There's the junior national team. And then there's the senior national team. So okay. there's three different levels. And so um, I'm trying to make this 15 man squad as an 11 year old. And it was a really daunting task. I felt like I had the ability to do it. And I go to this competition and I'm doing pretty well through my first five out of six events until I get to my last one, which is the pommel horse. And I'm actually in the top 10 at this time. And my coach looks at me and he goes, Hey, John, look, man, you're having a great day. You're in the top 10. All you need to do is just, you know, he used the golf term. He said, shoot for par here. You don't need to be perfect. Uh, don't try to, you know, overdo the routine, just stay on the pommel horse. And man, if you get through this without any major deductions, you're going to be a national team member. And so no I jump up to the pommel horse. <laughs> yeah. I, I jump up to the pommel horse and my left hand immediately slipped off. I did a 360 spin. I splatted on my back. Oof. And um, I, I walked over my coach and he's like, well, that's not what I told you to do, John. I'm like, Obviously. <laughs> and uh, so I walk back over to the pommel horse. I jump up again to restart and the same stinking thing happens again. Left hand slips, 360 spin, splat. I ended up falling six times on this routine before it was all said and done. Oof. And I scored a 1.9 out of a 10. Oh. And I ended up in dead last at this competition. Um, and so that was my very first attempt at making the national team. You know, luckily, I made it the next year as a Future Stars national team member. But then your Future Stars national you know, spot ends as soon as you break into the junior ranks. But then the same thing happened as a junior gymnast. I bombed horribly trying to make it onto the junior national team. And then the same thing happened as a senior. And so every first and even second attempt at some points trying to make the national team, I just, I, it was an epic failure, absolutely epic. And it was so difficult for me to break through at every level of the sport. I just, as soon as I tried to get somewhere new, it just felt like it was a million miles away before I was going to get there. I had so many ups and downs. It was such a roller coaster of a sport. But actually, you know, my first attempt at making the Olympic team was in 2004 when I finally did make the senior national team. Um, uh, and so I, I went to the Olympic trials as an 18 year old, the youngest kid there, knowing that I had no shot at making the Olympic team. Right. And I was just kind of having fun and I didn't care that I didn't make it that year. But in 2008, when I had it like in my sights that I was going to make it, I, I had the, one of the best competitions of my life at the Olympic trials. I won the trials. I made it onto the Olympic team. And that was, it was absolutely terrifying to know that the Olympics was on the line, but I've always felt that just because of the amount of pressure that I put on myself every single day in the gym, that when I'm actually up against pressure on a big stage, I'm kind of used to it. And I, I thrive under that. And so, um, you know, there's another lesson in that itself is being able to just put pressure on yourself from, you know, daily basis. If you, right. you know, when you're up against that big moment, knowing how to handle it. But, um, you know, so I made the Olympic squad and, you know, kind of just to take you back. One of the things that I love to share with people because my message behind my story and what I tell people is basically it's not how we start our careers, it's how we finish. And, and when I was 11 years old and I got 50th place out of those 50 kids at the future stars national trial, basically, um, many years down the road out of all 50 of those kids, I was the only one that ever went to the want a medal. Oh, wow. And so it was, you know, I went last to, to the best guy in the entire country. It took many, many years. It was a marathon, 
of a process to get there. But, you know, I, I, it, I started one way, but I finished completely different as the only guy that really just powered through, stuck with my sports. And, you know, it was kind of a storybook ending for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I wanted to know, did you find that there was a bit of a difference in, in your preparation or your mood or your focus when you were competing for an o, getting ready for an OU competition versus a uh, U.S. national team competition? Um, just because of my style, I'm a very amped up, energetic competitor. I, I, man, I, I don't know if anybody listening has ever played the game God of War, but like I <laughs> let the rage of the Titans take over me when I want to compete. That's a term from the game, by the way. I'm a big game nerd. Oh, gotcha, Anyways, gotcha. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's all good. But in, anyways, I just like I like I I like to be fierce when I compete, and so whether it was a a, a Team USA competition or an Oklahoma meet, um, I just I, I something came over me. The only difference really was when I was competing for the university. The whole team was like that. The guys, we we just as a as a group. We just got so fired up for every competition. We were the most obnoxious team in the country <laughs> by far. Um, and we were known for that. I mean, before the competition, we flipped over trash cans and beat on it with like drumsticks. And we went crazy. We had all these chants and we just got so fired up like we were going to war. Um, when it, for Team USA, when we were on the Olympic floor, can't really do that. It looks really bad. Right. Um, <laughs> I can just imagine now banging trash cans oh. in Beijing. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> if people didn't think Team USA was obnoxious enough, right. imagine that. Um, but yeah, so I still on the on you know competing with USA and the American flag on my chest. I deep down inside, I was like fired up, but I had to definitely tame it a lot more than I than when I was with Oklahoma. Gotcha. That uh, that's just really cool to hear. I, I you never I, I rarely hear people talk about kind of the difference in focus between competing for the for a university versus competing for the in the, on the national stage. So I really wanted to ask that. Um, now I know that you have uh, I still talking a little bit about the the Olympics and pivoting just a, a smidge. Um, currently right now with us gymnastics there's a lot of changes and shifting dynamics with leadership and structure and and that's been covered ad nauseum in the in the news in a variety of different ways but what i wanted to ask you specifically was kind of what do you feel would is is uh how do i how do i phrase this how do you feel us uh, gymnastics goes forward like what what do you think is kind of where are they at now? Like what what's up up next for them? What is the next kind of challenge or what's the next uh, way they should maybe not should structure, but what is a way in which you could see them making inroads and working towards correcting some past mistakes in a, in a broad sense and maybe in specific senses for their for their programs? Because I know you've shared a, a couple of, of uh, perspectives on, online, and so I just kind of wanted you to elaborate a little bit more if you don't mind. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Uh, I have no problem kind of throwing out my opinion on what I think the sport should do. It's definitely been a really rough few years for the sport in general, but the truth is it's been a rough many years for the women that were so badly affected by, you know, some of the systematic issues within the sport that, you know, me on the men's side, I didn't even recognize that that was that they were problems right and uh you know i always tell people that men's and women's gymnastics are two different sports because they're treated so differently but the more i learn they really are and we have to 
as a sport, correct a lot of the problems that have been out there. And I think it starts with, I think what everybody knows, first and foremost, is leadership. We've yeah. got to find a leader for U.S. gymnastics that, um, because of the joy that they just bring in general, but they also need to have a corporate understanding how to run a large organization. But also, and I think one of the things that is so important that we haven't had in the sport in many years is someone who can have those two qualities and are were a former gymnast themselves. Okay. Somebody that understands the inside and out of training, the grueling um, you know, matter in which gymnastics is required to be trained because obviously I'm biased, but I think gymnastics is the hardest sport in the world. Sure. You know, pound for pound, what it takes, the amount of skills, you know, to compare it to other sports where you've got to learn how to run fast, throw really hard and accurate and you got to learn how to catch and you want to maximize all of those, you know, three, four, maybe five skills. Well, gymnastics has a thousand of those skills Sure. and you have to have strong legs, strong core, strong upper body. And so it's just grueling training and we need a leader that understands that to its entirety. And so, um, I really think that it's so important that that leader is someone who is masterful on social media that can get the community involved and tell people, here's what's going on. Here's how we, here's how we're going to change the culture. Here's how we're going to protect our athletes and be so transparent and just have so much integrity and where people, cause right now people that are fans of the sport feel disconnected and disrespected by what's happened sure. to gymnastics. And it breaks my heart to know that the fans are so hurt by the sport and I just think that the best thing that we can do right now is find a leader that can just unite the fans and the athletes and just create a brand new culture of respect and fun. Because gymnastics, as hard as it is, it can be fun. I loved training as hard as it was and as many times as I yelled in the gym and said, I quit. I'm never coming back. Right. I still loved what I was. I still loved what I was doing. And we've got to create that same atmosphere on the women's side and as a whole on the men's side. And I it like, I keep saying it over and over again, but it starts with the proper leader who can then surround themselves with other great leaders in the sport. And I think that we just haven't had that for many, many years. Right, man. Thank you so much for, for sharing that perspective. Uh, it's yeah. I, you summed it up very succinctly and very well. And it was something I definitely wanted to get your, your take on, uh, now, I want to pivot just a little bit before we start wrapping up with you. And you've done some really great work with Ninja Coalition. I know we had Daniel Gill on the show a couple months ago, and he spoke a little bit about Ninja Coalition and the work that was being done. But I want you to kind of catch us up. What is What has Ninja Coalition been doing over the last couple months? What are you excited about coming up in 2019? And what are some things that people can look out for with regards to uh, the Ninja Coalition aspect? Yeah, super, super pumped about what we're doing with the company. Really, it the idea, I don't know how in-depth Daniel went with it, but the idea was born by mine and Daniel's agent. <laughs> and we were our agent was sending us all over the country to, to speak to kids and to do ninja clinics, and I was doing gymnastics clinics. And everywhere we were going, people would ask the same questions. Hey, tell us more about ninja. Where can we try some of these obstacles? And you know, do you think the sport's going to be around for a long time? And so... I, I kept telling my agent, Kevin, I was like, Kevin, man, everybody wants to know how they can get on these obstacles and try them. 
And sure, the sport's growing fast. I think there's over 800 ninja gyms in the country now. Yeah. But it's not growing fast enough to keep up with the demand. Everyone wants to try salmon ladder. Everyone <laughs> wants to try a warp wall. Everybody wants to see what is this all about? Because you watch it on TV, and I hear some people go, oh, that's crazy. I can never do that. But then I also hear some people go, that looks so Right. I can do that. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're like me, quickly humbled by it. Um, <laughs> but it's so our, our agent Kevin was like, well, you know what? When we send you guys to speak, why don't we create some kind of ninja experience? You know, when you guys go to a large company, let's see if they'd be interested in having us set up a bunch of ninja obstacles. And so we um, we poured some resources into building a gorgeous show quality ninja rig. It's 50 foot by 20 foot. And um, we've got all of the iconic obstacles from the show. Salmon ladder. We've got the unstable bridge. We've got the quad steps, full-size warped wall. We've got trapezes to cargo nets all over really soft, really safe airbags. And we, I think um, in 2018, we did five events. We did a couple churches. We did some companies. We did a couple city events where the business communities and the cities got together and um, supported us to be there. And so now I think in 2019, we have, uh, I think eight or nine events set up. We've got tentatively a bunch more that we're about to uh, finish, you know, figuring out the logistics for. And we've even done some charity events. So recently during the new year, we were in Redding, California. We set up our ninja course and we uh, kids could come play on the course from around the area for $20. And all the money that we raised went, um, not all of it, I think most of it. Actually, maybe most of it. I'm I'm speaking. If I misspeak, sorry, no, my fine. agent. I think <laughs> I, I think most of the money went to support fire victims in California. Oh wow, that's and, awesome! Um, so it was a really really cool impactful event because our our ninja rig it's got lights and it's got the steel trusses and it looks just like what you see on the show and you could see the joy of people that came in there. They tried it. We had people that every almost 90% of the people that walk out of there go, oh, my gosh, that is so much harder than we thought it was going to be. But it was <laughs> so fun. And, um, you know, just the joy that ninja and just body movement and, you know, there's a big movement in calisthenic type sports right now with gymnastics and ninja warrior and parkour. And now there's the Titan games on TV and all these sports that people are doing that are getting away from traditional weightlifting and some of the other things that people are doing to stay fit and ninja is at the forefront. And so we've just, you know, anywhere from eight years old to shoot, I think we had like a 65 year old guy played on our course one time and was like, man, this brought me back to life. <laughs> and so it's just really cool to see the reaction of people. And we're super pumped to be able to continue do to do more events. We want to be able to do, two, three, four events a month all over the country. We're going to be going to Houston and Phoenix, and we're going to the East Coast. We're going to be doing a bunch more stuff on the West Coast. We do a lot of events in California because that's where our course lives. Right. Um, we've got a warehouse in Northern California where it stays, and we just we ship it all over the place. So, man, it's been a blast, and it's been a blessing, and I hope that it'll be a blessing to the people that get to be a part of it. That is awesome. Well, Jonathan, thanks so much for being on the show. Before we wrap up, uh, I'm going to – you know, it's a part of the show where everybody loves or maybe they uh, uh, love to hate. It's the dad joke segment. Uh, so it's where <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've got a couple of dad jokes I'm going to throw your way. But uh, I always like to give the guests the uh, first crack. Do you have any dad jokes you want to rattle off? 
Ah, I heard one that was so bad the other day, and I'll throw it out there. All right. Um, Why couldn't the elephant get on the plane? I don't know. Why? Because his trunk was too big to get under the seat. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, that's so So good. So bad. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Um, uh, Jonathan, uh, can February March? (laughs) No, but April, May. Oh my goodness! It's uh, so good. Uh, it's so good. Uh, I I didn't know if you knew, but uh, I'm I'm reading a book on the history of glue, and uh, I tell you why. It's just so good. Uh, I can't seem to put it down. Handle <laughs> <laughs> uh, him. I hate that joke so much. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, last one. Last one. Uh, Jonathan, what lies at the bottom of the ocean and twitches? I have no idea. A nervous wreck. A nervous. Oh man. Wreck. Yeah, yeah. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. Get it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Jonathan, if people want to follow you or follow what you're up to, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So I'm big on Instagram. People can follow me at jhorton11. Uh, also on Twitter, j underscore horton11. Or I always throw this out there. People feel free to shoot me a an email. I will receive it personally at info.jonathanhorton at gmail dot com. I also have a website with all this information. If you go to jonathanhorton.net, you can read all about me. I've got a shop where you can take a look at my books. I've got shirts and cool gear. So if you want to get a hold of me, I make myself very very available to people. Very, very good. And of course we'll put all this in the show notes as well. But uh thank you so much for that. And Jonathan, we need a hashtag for this episode. Should we go with hashtag if I had known? I love it. Hashtag if I had known. There we go. All right, listeners. Well, until next time, hashtag if I had known and hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.